God, your love for us is astounding. That you would love us so much that you would leave your heavenly throne and be born of a woman and be born under law so that you might redeem us who were under law, redeem us who were under the law's curse to adopt us as your dear sons and daughters. God, as we open up your word today, we pray, help us to stand back in awe and wonder as we ponder the majesty and, and the surprise of your grace for us in, in all its many ways. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't, I don't know about you, but one of the things that's really fun for me about Christmas is when I get to <laughs> surprise someone. It's, it's not the jumping out of the closet boo kind of surprise, but it's the surprise where, where you spent a lot of time thinking about what you're going to do for someone. And then you're sneaky enough to buy it, wrap it, so maybe they don't even know that you got it. And then to see the look on their face when they peel back the wrapping paper and look inside and it's something they never saw coming. One of the things that kills me about having the kids around the house is that they go looking for the gifts and then they find it. And the surprise is ruined. I don't really care that they found it because I was going to give it to them anyway. But now the surprise is gone. For, at least for me, part of the fun of Christmas, at least beside Jesus is always the greatest fun. But, but besides that, the, gift, the giving of gifts at Christmas is fun because of the surprise, the shock, the awe, the, the joy that you get to give, the joy that you have to give someone to surprise them with your love. Do you ever think about how God felt and what was going on? If God had emotions like us, what God was like for those 4,000 years or so before Mary was great with child, uh, if God's anything like me, which I'm pretty sure that he's not, but if God had emotions like me, I can only imagine the thoughts that was go were going on in God's mind when, when Eve thought her first child was maybe the Savior. <laughs> she has no idea if God were like me, but he's pretty sure he's not. And then, and then throughout the ages, as through the prophets, at many times and in various ways, God dropped hints. Here's a hint, Isaiah. Micah, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you were small, you have no idea. And, and then the joy that God must have had to unwrap that for his people. First to Mary, you, you will be the mother of God by the Holy Spirit. Then to Elizabeth, the joy that Mary and Elizabeth had. And, and then to, as God sits back and watches them sing and pray and rejoice together. And then to Joseph, and then to the shepherds, I wonder how much joy God had to just unwrap those surprises. Maybe we should call them miracles. St. Bernard, he's a church father. Luther agrees with him. He said there are three Christmas miracles, surprises, if you will. One is that God became man. That's no small thing, he says, that God would be found truly and fully in the human being. Colossians agrees. 
In Christ, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. So here you have this miracle. In this little baby, Mary, did you know that your baby boy was God, king of all creation? That's a miracle. That the second miracle is that Mary, we, we read about it in Isaiah, that Mary would conceive a child and remain a virgin. That's a miracle. But they all, Bernard and Luther and perhaps others, I agree with them. Perhaps the greatest miracle is that Mary believed that what God was telling her was true. When the angel said to her, this is, you're going to be the mother of God. She didn't pull a Zechariah. She said, let it be to me as you have said. God's, God, your word is good. I believe you. Today, we're going to be opening up the Gospel of John. We're going to be in John chapter 1, verses 10 to 13. Just to give you, get you up to speed, because John unveils some things to us today that are really pretty surprising. Just to, just to catch you up in John 1, because it's a beautiful section of Scripture. So, John chapter 1, at the very beginning, God is saying to his people, or G, John is telling God's people, Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was there in the beginning. So he's, he's unveiling this majesty of the Trinity. And then he's saying, God, through him, made all things. And through this one, he was life and light for all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. And now John goes on. And the first surprise, the, really the first shocking thing that John shows us is really not so positive, though. The, the first humans, here's the first surprise. Human stubbornness is shocking. Look, look how John starts this section. He, so going back to the section right before, the light, the life, the word, Jesus, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him, receive him, welcome him. You know, there, there are some things, aren't there, that in this world that are just plain surprising, things that do happen, and we, and we look at them and they say, that shouldn't happen. Take, for instance, this is a fairy tale, of course, but take Pinocchio and Geppetto. Geppetto took his time his energy, his care and concern. And he made this little puppet, Pinocchio. And he bestowed all his love on it. But how did Pinocchio treat Geppetto? Lie after lie, rebellious little brat that he was. Wikipedia doesn't have nice things to say about Pinocchio. Nor did Geppetto, depending on which version of the story that you read. See, that's one of those things that happens that shouldn't happen. The creation shouldn't kick back against the creator. And yet, isn't that exactly what John is saying happened? He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So here Jesus, the creator of all things, without whom nothing exists that has been made, the world that he made, the creation rejects the creator. Look what Paul says. 
since what they may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Just look up and just look out and, and see what God has done. The, the stars are in the sky, just where God wanted them to be. The, the moon hangs and the earth rotates and revolves. And there's galaxies and there's things, I don't know what they're called, but they're bigger than galaxies. There's many galaxies. And, and to think, it's, it's natural human reason to think that that stuff doesn't just happen. Right? That would be like throwing a bunch of Legos into a bucket and pouring them out and expecting that somehow along the way they're going to turn into something a master builder created. Right? You look up and you look out. And God, it's, it's fairly obvious. It should be. Paul says it's clear. It's plain to them. God's eternal power, his divine nature are clearly seeing, understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. And yet, what, is, what do people do? We pull a Pinocchio, right? And if you look at people in this world, most people in this world accept that there is a God. There are some atheists around, maybe a growing number. But if you get to know the world, most people do accept that there is a God, but where do they turn? They, they accept that there is a creator that, who is eternal and powerful and divine. But you know what's crazy and foolish and stupid? Sorry, there aren't words strong enough to describe it. Where do they go? If they, if they don't come to the true God, where do they go? <laughs> Something they created. In Israel's day, and even around some today, where did they go? They, they went to a tree, and they cut it down, and they made a totem pole. Or they took a rock. What did the people of Israel do in the wilderness? They took gold. These are your gods. By the way, we created them. And today, where do most of our religions come from? Somebody smoked something, went behind some closed doors and had some vision, and they create... A religion, a God, that they can understand, where do we keep going? Right? We keep going. The creation rebels against the creator and worships something that the creation worships something it creates. So maybe it'll be better with God's people, right? Well, let's see what John says. <coughs> he came to that, the very last two lines, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So Jesus came from the family tree of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. From the family tree of David and from Jesse and David and Solomon. And he came to his own people in his own people's hometown. And he came and how did his people receive him? The king of his hometown wanted to kill him. 
And though Jesus carried out his ministry faithfully and performed miracles, healing the sick, giving legs to the lame, sight to the blind, feeding the 5,000, remember how that story goes? What did his people do? Give us more bread. And when Jesus says, you don't really need bread, you need me, his people said, that's, well, no thanks. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. See how, there aren't words strong enough. You see how dumb this is? Foolish, stupid, stubborn. Pick your strong word. But we're not so different, are we? How many of you have ever wanted to live in the days of Jesus? You don't have to raise your hand. I hear it every once in a while. I, wa- I would love to live in the days of Jesus. I would love to just spend a day. I would love to walk with him. I would love to see. I would love to touch. Wouldn't it be cool to be, stand next to Thomas on, the, on a week after the resurrection and just put your hands into his fingers, into his hand here, and into his side? How cool. And then, and then you look at the people during Jesus and you say, how could you guys be so dumb? You had Jesus. But see, the thing is, we struggle with the same stubbornness that they do. Now, let me make a quick distinction. You're not in the same category as they are. Because you all believe in Jesus. You have not rejected him. You receive him. You love him. That's why you're here. So you are not the Pharisees. You are not the world that rejects Jesus. And yet, we struggle in the same ways. Just think, let me help you think this through. The the Pharisees, I think we're probably most like the Pharisees, though we aren't. We're like them sometimes. They they love the rules. They love the law. And, And they thought to themselves that if I just do the right things, if I follow God in the right way, then God will love me and God will accept me. And if you're not doing these things, then God can't possibly love you. That's a temptation for us. To think that God will love us if we do the right things and follow the right rules. We're tempted and we struggle in the same way that the Pharisees did. The the Pharisees also were in love with themselves. They, They refused to think to themselves that they were as bad as Jesus said they were. That was one of their beefs with Jesus. We have never been slaves of anyone, they said. Really? Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. They refused to see that they were as bad as they said they were. Do you you ever, we struggle there too, isn't it? Don't we? Walking through this first section, do you ever, it's really tempting for us to say, I sure am glad I'm not like. We're just as bad. by nature, in our hearts. We struggle with love of self. We we struggle with glory. What do the the Pharisees want? They loved glory. They loved when their church was great and grand and glorious. In fact, they said, "If, if your life is not full of glory, then you're doing it wrong. Why did the man, why did they have an issue with the man born blind? Who sinned, this one or his parents? Because If there wasn't glory or good in your life, then you were sinful and God was getting you for something. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. That's not the way it works. I don't pay you back for your sins. I forgive you your sins. 
And in fact, as my followers, I want you to carry a cross. You're not going to wear a crown of glory on this earth. That's for later. We, see, we, you, you know your heart. We struggle in these ways and at different times and in different places. We're, we're not the Pharisees, but sometimes we lean in the same ways that they leaned. Which, dear friends, this is what's amazing about this whole section. And I pray that you stand back in awe and wonder at this. You aren't the Pharisees. You aren't like the world when they look at their creator and say, ah, that's not my God. Because God gave you birth. Here, here's, here's the surprise that John lays out. Our birth into God's family is surprising. When there are people, countless people, the world around to turn their back on their creator and their savior, you haven't. You haven't. Our birth into God's family is downright surprising. And I pray you're just saying, wow, God, you're awesome. Think about your own life story for a second. I was born, I'll tell you mine, just a nutshell. I was born to Jim and Hope Borman in 1978. My, my mom is a full-blooded German, through and through. Monti and Heinz, thoroughbred, thoroughbred Germans. But my dad, he's a little bit of German, a little bit Swede. So I'm about 25% Swede, as best we can tell. That's why, I, anyways. That's my family story. I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, though I deny all their sports teams. I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and a citizen of this country. I was baptized into the Christian faith as a Lutheran. And, I, and growing up, I, always, I just kind of stayed Lutheran because that's what I was. But more and more, I'm convinced that this is we teach the truth, and this is where I belong, because this is what I believe. And, and I love my heritage, my family, my, my country, my church. And, and I imagine that as you look back at your own life story, your own faith story, you have, you have a family heritage, family tree. You have a country heritage, what, what brought you to this country whether you were born a citizen or came in, were naturalized, received in some other way. And you have a faith story, born into a Lutheran church or some other church and made your way toward Lutheranism. But dear friends, that's not what gave you birth into God's family. It wasn't your parents' decision it wasn't your citizenship in this country. It wasn't even your membership at a particular church. Look, look at how you became God's child. To all who did receive him. So John's contrasting the before, those people and us. To, those who, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. See, it wasn't your family tree that gave you birth into God's family. It wasn't your German or Swedish or Irish or whatever background that made you God's child. 
It wasn't your citizenship in this country that brought you into God's family. It wasn't even your membership in our particular church. Did you see? It's not natural descent, human decision, husband's will. It's God's birth. It was God who took you as a child or maybe as an adult. It, it was God who took you to a font or another place with water and gave you birth. It was God who gave you birth into his family. Here's some homework for you. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. I'm going to refer to it, but I'll have you go read it when you get home. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. It's in water and by word that God gives birth to you so that you become his children. And here's why I want you to look at Galatians 3. I want you to just read it and think about it. Paul says, and it depends on which translation. Perhaps now it's, you are all children of God. It's probably the NIV now. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It's actually, you are all sons. A few years ago, a pastor helped me see that Paul was very intentional with that word, sons. See, see, we all want to jump right to the conclusion, well, what about the daughters? It should be, you are all sons and daughters, or let's be generic and be, you are all children. But let me help you see the impact of John, Paul's choice of words, you are all sons. See, who is Jesus? He is the son, capital S-O-N, of God. And as the Son of God, what did God say about his Son at his baptism, at his transfiguration? You are my Son with whom I am well pleased. You are my beloved Son. So Jesus is the Son of God whom God loves, with whom God is pleased. He is the one who called on his Father in every trouble, and his Father heard him and helped him. He is the one his Father never abandoned to the grave, but instead his father raised him from the dead. And now his son, capital S-O-N, sits at the right hand of God, ruling all things, heir of all things. So when Paul calls you sons, he's not making a gender statement. He's making a statement and a connection between you and Jesus. The son, capital S-O-N, of God. So God sees you the way he sees his son. So through your baptism, God says to you, you are my beloved son. When I look at you, I see my son. For all of you who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves in Christ. You are my beloved son, whom I love, with whom I am pleased. And so as Paul goes on in that section, he says, so I don't see you as men or women. 
slave or free, Jew or Gentile. You're all one in Christ. You are all sons. Do you see what an amazing thing this is, that God would see you as his son, that you are born of God to be his son, but there's more. Did you catch it before? To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you ever think that through? You have rights, privileges as children. That's the other amazing thing that I find as I look at this section. Our rights as children of God are simply, stand back and stagger just a little bit. In our homes, our children have rights, don't they? We would say they feel entitled sometimes, but they have rights. They have rights to ask of us that we provide clothing and shoes, food, drink, house, home, clothing, all that stuff that they need to live, right? They have a right to our ear when they have a problem, when they have an issue, they can talk to us. And when we're gone, they have a right, if there's anything left after children and grandchildren, to an inheritance, right? Now think. We're sons of God. We have rights like that, except better. We started looking at this last Wednesday, but let's take it further. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive adoption to sonship. That's huge. That's huge. As a slave, we had no rights, we had no privileges, we had nothing. But now, God in his mercy said, I'm going to take you as my own son. And because you are sons, I'm going to do some things for you. You have a right to these things. Because you are sons, what has God done? God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Do you realize what you have as a child of God, as a son? You have God's Spirit. God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Of all the things that God could have given us through His Son, and He does, like food and drink, house and home, property, children, land, cattle, all I own. You know, if you know the catechism, you know it, right? He's given us all that stuff, but on top of all that, He gave us His Son. And on top of all that, he gave us his spirit. And his spirit is living in us and working in us and giving faith and, and praying. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. You get to talk to God. And he listens. I want to be like God as a dad. Maybe dads, you feel that way too. One of the downs, I like having my office at home because I can get up and go to work. But the downside is when I'm at my desk or in my office, my kids want to talk to me. And I want to say, just hold, give me five minutes, which turns into 30. They want my ear. And I don't give it to them right away. I have other things to do. But God, when we call, when we pray, when we give thanks, God says, yes, my son, 
What do you have to say to me? Yes, my child, I have all the time in the world for you. I have, it's like God has nothing else going on in his life when you pray. It, it's like you're the only one who lives in the world. And you are the only one that has his attention at that moment. You have the king's ear. And he loves it when you talk to him. And there's more. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Can you even begin to wrap your mind around what that means? And what that looks like? God, the one who created everything, who has all power, honor, might, glory, riches, wisdom. Pick, pick your, your string of adjectives from the Bible. And God has it all. And you are heir of all that. It's all for you. Because you're a son. And I'm including you girls in that. Children of God. We can't possibly, you want to go home sometime today. We can't possibly explore all this. So let me just tell you my prayer for you. Keep, keep growing in awe and wonder. Don't, don't let this get old. The joy I have of studying the scriptures and preparing for Sunday is... I get to spend 10, 15, 20 hours, sometimes more, just thinking about what is this scripture saying? What does this mean? And I get 20 to 30 minutes to unfold it for you. Don't let this get old. Keep growing and on with um, Here's my prayer. I pray, I'm praying with Paul. I'm actually starting at verse 18. You're, you're, the program says 17, but I'm starting at 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Hope is not this maybe wishful, I have a 50-50 chance of this happening. When the, when, the, when the Bible talks about hope, we're talking about I know what's going to happen. It's like I know what the Christmas gift is, is. It's all wrapped and it's ready for me. I know what it is but God just hasn't given me to go ahead to open it yet. And maybe it's I have a hint at what it is, but I'm not totally sure what it is. Christian hope is sitting on the edge of your seat in, in expectation of what God's going to do. Dear friends, I pray that God would grow that in you, that your hope would just light up and your expectation, and let's add the word excitement about what is coming would grow. I pray that you would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. What God has stored up for you in heaven, what God has for you as your inheritance, you can hardly begin to count or measure or imagine. The heights, Paul taught, later talks on about the, pray that you know the height and the depth and the width and the length and the depth of the love of God who can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to the power that's at work. I pray that you know how 
rich you really are in Christ. And finally, Paul's prayer that you would know his power, his incomparably great power for us who believe that God, the creator of all things, who brought life through death of Jesus, who brought the dead back to life, who called things into being with just a word of his mouth. That's just a, the tip of the iceberg when we start thinking about God's power. And notice what Paul says about it. It's for us. It's for us, for you who believe. God is on your side. I pray that you would know the hope, the riches, and the power more and more and more and more because God will not let you down. God, dear friends, God grant you joy and wonder this Christmas because our God has come to help his people. And all God's people said,